Welcome everyone to True Exact Show. I'm here with Eric, Brian, and I'm joined with our special guest tonight. You might have seen him in Due South, The Shield, recently in Homeland as Virgil. We're going to welcome David Marciano to the show. How you doing, man? Doing fantastic, guys. Good to see everybody. You too. You staying safe during this time? Oh, yeah. I don't let the COVID affect me, man. Ain't, listen, I survived bigger shit than the COVID in 60 years. Ain't no COVID going to take me down, man. There you go. This would be really horrible if something bad happened after we posted this. <laughs> the chandelier just falls on him. Right just, right, yeah, just die right after the show ends. Right. Yeah, we just wouldn't post. We'd post it like a year from now. It's like, <laughs> oh, look at this. All right, um, what we like to do on the show is, you know, listen um, about how you guys got started. So tell us a little background about how you got into acting and stuff. Oh, so I went to uh, Northeastern University in Boston to become a biomedical engineer. Um. Uh, because I was really good at math. Well, when I took my SATs, I took something called an aptitude test, which is uh, an APT test. You can still take it online today. Uh, it's 100 random questions, no right or wrong answers. Results come out in three professions. Three professions were mathematician, architect, and actor. So my guidance counselor says, um, look, I understand mathematician, you get all A's in math. I understand architect because as an architect, you've got to be creative, which the third one is, and you've got to understand angles for like geometry. He goes, well, what can you tell me about this acting thing? I said, I don't know. He said, uh, I can see by your transcripts that uh, you haven't taken any drama classes. I said, no. He says, uh, you've been to any of the plays at school? I said, no. He said, do you know anybody in the drama department? I said, yeah, there's this one guy, Tom, and let me tell you something. Tom is suspect. I don't know what's wrong with him, but I want no part of what Tom's doing. And so after I uh, basically failed out of engineering, I tried accounting, I tried economics. I was getting A's, but I hated it. And then one day I called my mom and I said, I'm coming home. She goes, no, you're not. I said, mom, what are we doing here? I mean, you're spending all this money to send me to college and I don't even know what I'm doing here. She goes, remember that aptitude test? Remember that aptitude test? I said, um, she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She says, why don't you take an acting class? And I said, Mom, you know what I know about acting? I go to the movies and there they are. She said, look, no matter what you do in life, you're going to have to get up in front of people and get presentations. I'm in insurance for 34 years. Before our salesmen go out into the field, we have them take an acting class to get comfortable with the one-on-one -on -one experience. It can only help you. So to appease my mother, one semester I took accounting two, statistics two, acting one, and I took another drama class because I needed an easy A because I almost failed out. You know, I wanted to get my GPA up, stage and body movement. And halfway through that semester, I knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Did it come easy to you? Uh, no, no. The craft did not come easy to me at all. Uh, but I, I found something I love besides getting high and getting laid for the first time in my life. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, man. I was... I was eight, I was 19, 20. All I wanted to do was get high and get laid, right? right. And I didn't give a shit about anything else, but when I found acting, you know, acting, just, still, came, acting still came in third. But I just picture your whole family on the other side of the computer just looking at you right now. Right? Like, oh, yeah, they were just like, <laughs> so, so, I mean, that, that's such a – we hear this a lot from the people we have on, though, which is it's great to hear every time that, like, you had different paths where you might have been – it might have been the safer bet, right? Because, right. like, with the acting, you never know. You could have been bad at it or just moved out to L.A. and, you know, just failed at it, but you succeeded. Good for you. So, like, even though you loved it, how much balls did it take? Now I know I could get, like – dirty with language we use so i'm just gonna say fuck and all this shit how much balls did it take for you to do it like how, were you scared when you did it yeah. yeah but you know i i heard i was watching three kings i don't know if you ever seen the movie three kings uh i've seen the tour one with clooney and ice cube yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. yeah. they say they say uh courage you, you don't get courage until you've till you walk through your fear everyone's scared hmm. But until you walk through that fear once, then you get the courage to do it the second time. You don't have courage the first time. First time, you're just scared shitless. But the second time, yeah, I got this, man. I walked right through it. Right. So, and the greatest thing about growing up in Newark, New Jersey, or I grew up in Newark in the uh, uh, 1977, basically. You saw, you saw Goodfellas. Yep. You saw Saturday Night Fever. 
and yep. sort of Pope of Greenwich Village. Yeah, that's my neighborhood. All right, that's what I had to contend with. Now, I wasn't. I was. <laughs> I was the Eric Roberts character in my neighborhood. I was either going to lose my thumbs or end up scapegoat dead. But because I grew up in that environment, because I was subjected to such basically trauma, <laughs> you know, you're just you're, you're you're living in constant fear. You know what I mean? That Hollywood. Yeah. So. I grew balls. I'm from fucking Newark, bitch, okay? <laughs> ain't nothing you can do or say to me that's going to make me back down. I'm not yeah. Down. yeah, I was going to ask that next. Like, you growing up, like, from, from your bio, I know I don't know what to believe on the internet or whatnot. I only hear stories, you know. Um, You were, like, rolling dice, gambling and stuff. But you, It reminds me of, like, Colodro in a Bronx tale in the yeah. shop. Like Basically. as a young, yeah, as a young yeah. kid. So like, that's awesome. That that mindset, that vibe, that every we're all Jersey, you know, and we have we had a rapper from Jersey last week, and like it's that Jersey vibe that like go fuck yourself attitude. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. when you went out to L.A., was it a culture shock where it was more laid back, or you brought it out and they had to tell you to tone it down? Yes, I had. Yeah, I I was just telling the story at dinner tonight. I um, <laughs> so my very first pilot. It's called Tickets, Please, and I'm playing a train conductor. And Yardley Smith, I don't know if you know Yardley Smith. The Lisa Simpson. That's right. Yardley Smith. Yardley, me and Yardley Smith are the conductors on the train. We're the ticket wow. takers. Wow. Not the conductors. I'm sorry. The ticket takers. And um, so when I auditioned for the part, when you audition, you only audition for two scenes. But your part's bigger than that. So I get the job, and it turns out that in the script, there were five impressions. I don't do impressions. And they wanted me to do Sinatra. They wanted me to do, like, Jerry Lewis, like, all these impressions. And I just, I'm just not any good at it. So after the first week of rehearsals, they're like, um, you want to watch some video of Sinatra? Maybe that'll help. And I'm like, that ain't going to fucking help me. Fucking, who can do Sinatra? Nobody can do Sinatra but Sinatra. I can rewrite that shit. You know what I mean? And they were like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So <laughs> the Touchstone executive comes down on the set, right? And he says, Dave, how you doing? I said, Mike, I, my dreams come true. Mike, I'm on the set. I'm hey, Mike, what kind of tea you want? They got every fucking kind of tea you want, man. You just say, hey, can I get a club soda? And somebody brings you a club soda. This place is unbelievable. He says, um, well, I hear you're having some problem with the impersonations. I'm like, yeah, you know, no big deal. You know, don't rewrite them or something like that. I said, he goes, well, it's an integral part of the show, and we really would like to see you, you know, do those. And I said, well, you know, Mike, to tell you the truth, if you wanted an impersonator, you should have fucking hired Rich Little. Yeah. This is crazy. And that was your first pilot. No. <laughs> I didn't know this to it. I didn't notice till a year and a half later, they tried to replace me in the second week. They saw 50 actors in LA and 50 actors in New York and they couldn't replace me. But I found out a year later, year and a half later, because I said that to that guy. So yeah, I didn't know. I, you know, I was a street kid. I didn't understand the game. Now, you know who Stephen Bosco is? Uh, no, I don't. Sorry. Yeah, you do. Stephen Bochco created NYPD Blue. He okay. created L.A. Okay. Law. Okay. okay. Big, big TV producer. All right. So I'm having trouble on the set. Same, you know, same kind of creative, you know, misunderstandings or whatever. I, by the way, that was so Jersey of you right there. I don't know who he is. Yeah, you fucking do. <laughs> <laughs> That's something we all do. Oh, you know who he is. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> So I go up to him at this party. I said, hey, Steve, you got a minute? He says, yeah. He said, uh, listen, I'm, uh, I don't know if you know what's going on on set. He goes, I know everything that's going on. And I was like, okay. I said, well, you know, I'm having some problems. He said, I know what's going on. I said, well, I don't know what to do. He says, listen, the best advice I can give you is learn how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't play games. He said, then you're going to have a really tough time in this business. And I had to learn how to play that game, right? Just like we had to learn to play the game growing up on the corner of Rich Street and Bloomfield Avenue with Johnny Dims, Tommy Motorola, and the Weasel, right? That was a game you better learn how to play. You're going to get your ass fucking beat. You know what I mean? What were the nicknames? <laughs> Johnny Dimps, Tommy Motorola, awesome. and the Weasel. <laughs> oh, God, I love that. Those are real guys I grew up with. 
I want to see a picture so bad of them together. Just <laughs> oh, I don't have to. I don't Dude, you should see the picture of my prom in 1977, man. Uh, I wish I had it in my cam. I wish I had it in my phone. I do have it somewhere, but between all these dick pics and these pussy pics, I, I don't know if I can find it. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I feel like sometimes I ask. But this is this is how I look when somebody tells me what to do in Hollywood. This is how I look at them. <laughs> For a second, I thought it was a dick pic coming. I'm like, this well, that's, that's my nose, jerk off. That's my nose. <laughs> you could have had a comedian, too, on top of that. Yes. Yeah, man. Okay, okay. I, I tried it for a year, man. I did. I did. I did it for six months in San Francisco and six months in L.A. And when, it, when you're funny, it's the most greatest thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And when you suck, man, it's like you just want to kill yourself. It's We've hard. discussed that before. I've almost hung myself because <laughs> I've failed. Uh, Brian still does comedy down here in the Ooh. left. Um, hard, I, I, I want to um, just pass along to Eric or Brian if you have any questions really quick. I got, I got a question for you. Yeah. Now, this is something now with, with doing stand-up, I know – that I'll have my I have my ten to twelve minute sets that, for the most part, I memorize. But I mean, it takes some time to like really drill it in my head. When you're the thing that I'm always amazed at, especially with acting, is your ability to remember your lines, improvise, and then still do all the types of like facial movements and actions and everything that's going on. How did you um, perfect that in a way to the yeah. point where you're at? Yeah, and. Part of it is just attrition, meaning part of it is, is just 40 years I'm doing it. Yeah. So what happens is it's like I'm still in class. Mm -hmm. 40 years later, I still go to class and people say, why? I said, why does LeBron James go to basketball practice? Why does Tom yeah. Brady go to football practice? Why doesn't Tom Brady just play on Sunday? Yeah. yeah. He's the best there is, right? You should just yeah. go to work on Sunday because you can't. Yeah. You can't. Why do they do layup drills? Why does Tiger Woods still go to the driving range, still work on his putts? You have to be constantly working on your craft. Uh, it's the only way to grow. It's the only way to compete. And then you got to work harder. The older you get, you got to work harder. And see how the words are coming out, like right now in this interview, right, this podcast. We're not really thinking about what we're going to say. It's sort of happening simultaneously. That's how well... I have to know my lines. I have to know my lines as well as I'm talking to you right now. Because if I have to think about what I'm have to say next or think about the line, you're going to see me thinking yep. of, well, he doesn't know his lines. You can tell. We'll edit around that, right? That's what they do. Yep. That's the great thing about television, right, or film. They'll edit around, you know, these yep. little moments that you don't look like you're present. But um, if you want to win an Academy Award or you want to win an Emmy or – or, or, or a Golden Globe or a SAG Award, those people sit in their room and they do each scene 150 times mm. before they go to work the next day. Anthony Hopkins says he will not step on stage until he's rehearsed each scene 150 times. Yeah. Uh, it, it pays off because then when you see them go out and they give these performances, they the way they deliver lines, it, it's like you said, it doesn't come off like, like okay, you, you see them thinking, it's not, okay, now it's my turn, I'm going to talk, I'm going to say my line. It just comes out, it's so fluent the whole time. Yeah, a acting, acting is being. Yeah. Acting is being. Yeah, I have to be. Yeah. There's no coincidence why, like, Meryl Streep been nominated for, like, 19 Academy Awards and the same people get nominated every year, you know, I know When 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 did you like I know you, you were in uh, due south for like five or, or this this series up in Canada When did like that? Did you have to audition for that? How did that come about? <laughs> so oh boy, so I, this is gonna be good. Here we go <laughs> So I get my two scenes Right now. I'm the I'm like the star of the show me and the Mountie are the stars of the show, right? So I'm gonna be in every scene practically but I get two scenes to audition the first scene I got it down I'm nailing it the second scene I'm having a hard time with because the second scene is the Mountie is standing at his post at the Canadian consulate like like those British guys at uh, Buckingham Palace right they can't move they can't they gotta wait for the bell and then the thing 
And my, I'm coming up to him. I'm going, come on, Benny, there's a crime. There's a, this guy, he broke out of jail, and we got to get him. Come on, Benny, what are you going to do? Come on, don't just stand there like a frozen, you know, blah, blah, blah. come on. Let's and I got to keep coming at him from different angles, and I'm having a hard time with the scene. I can't really make it work. So I call my agent up, and I said, I'm going to pass on the audition. He's like, you're going to pass on the audition? I'm like, yeah, I just... It's funny. Look, it's good. There's a lot of Canadian references. I don't get in it. I said, um, you know, it may be funny to the Canucks, I said, but I don't think it's really going to play in an American audience. He said, do you know who wrote this? I said, who? He said, Paul Haggis. I said, who's Paul Haggis? Mm. At the time, Paul Haggis, Paul Haggis has won Academy Awards. He, he did Million Dollar Baby, and he won the Academy Award for co-writing Crash, the movie with uh, Bobby Moresco. Bobby Moresco's uh, just a neighborhood guy from Hell's Kitchen who's brilliant. And I said, I don't know, Harry. I just, he goes, look, you understand this is the second lead in a CBS series. I said, yeah. He goes, David, if you get this, you're going to be a millionaire. I said, okay, Harry, I'll go in. <laughs> so, I, I'll go. I'll be Don't twist my arm now. I don't give a shit what language it's written in. Let's get over there, man. <laughs> I'll be so, a millionaire, eh? <laughs> so wait, it gets better. So I figure I'm going to be in and out, right? So now there's a car wash next to the place where I'm auditioning. So I pull my car up. I said, I'll be out in about 10 minutes, right? I go to wash my car. I get in there, I wait a fucking hour and a half to get in the room because Haggis is working with each actor, right? So finally I get into the room and I say the first three, the first three words come out of my mouth like rubber cement and I go, I'm sorry, this ain't for me. I, you know, I was going to pass, but my agent talked me into coming because he said I could be a millionaire, but I, I, I'm out of here. And I let, and Haggis is like, why? What? What's the matter? What's... What's wrong? You don't like the material? I said, no, nah, the material's great. I said, it's me. I left. I was at 1.30. At 3.30, my agent called me. He says, what happened? I said, I walked out. He goes, they love you. They love you. Haggis, Haggis thinks you're perfect for the part. I said, perfect for the part? I said three fucking words. How does he know I'm perfect for the part? He said, he saw you on that, that, that Bochco show. He says, you, he wants you to meet the director. And then my agent says, how tall are you? I said, six feet. He says, mm. I said, what's the matter? He goes, well, the Mountie's 5'11", and you can't be taller than the Mountie. So take off your shoes when you go in the room and slouch. I said, all right. So I took off my shoes. I, I got the job. Right. And, I'm, sh um, I'm shocked your first uh, question was, what the fuck's a Mountie? So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. So, I, I mean, how, was it surreal how you're – kind of bigger break came on a Canadian show? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's so, that's crazy to think about. I made the most money in those two years that I was on, the three years on that show, I made more money in those three years than I did in like the rest of my career. It was nice. How how was it working with uh, Danny Aiello? Oh, Danny was great, man. You know, I mean, he's a New Yorker, but he lived up in like Saddle River or Saddlebrook. Hmm. Um, and I knew his son, Ricky. And, you know, Danny had a lot of respect for me. Um, you know, he had a nickname. <laughs> they called him Danny Aigo. Oh, really? Mm. Well, you know, I mean, Danny yeah. came from the streets like, you know, like all of us and worked his way up to, you know, becoming a millionaire, you know, for, right. for acting. And he goes to your head a little bit. I mean, do the right thing. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I, yeah. Love the, I love the end where he's fucking... Is he throwing the money at... Uh, uh, so Mookie's a big fucking man. Now, That's a great fucking right. scene. I heard years ago that they were going to try to make that on Broadway, but as a musical. How would they do that? I don't know. But I want to play the Danny Aiello role. Yeah, that would be awesome. That. that would be fucking awesome. Did you ever think about doing Broadway? Did you do Broadway or no? Nah, nah. I, I love TV. I love the movies. Um, here's the problem with Broadway. You're working six yeah. days a week, and you're yeah. doing eight shows, and you make about half the money you would make on TV. Yeah. It's pretty exhausting. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But I, w I would do that. I would do Do the Right Thing, and I'd do the Danielle role, for sure. 
I want to ask more questions, but I want to get Eric involved if you yeah, guys. I just want to know, um, is there any way to predict how successful a show will be before it's aired? You know, you see, like, I feel like I see, like, movies and TV shows with a great cast and everything, and it just doesn't hit. So how did you know, you know, like, Homeland was going to explode? Did you know that? Did you guys feel that before? You there, there, there's a different energy. Okay. Right? When you, you know when magic is happening. Okay. You, you you feel it, and when you know you got you got Claire Danes, you got Mandy Patinkin, you know uh, these are the horses. You got Damian Lewis, you got Nabid Nagaban, right? You know that these are the the, the actors who are who are uh, driving the driving the car, and then you have your two showrunners. You have Alex Gansa, and you have um, uh, Howard Gordon, who created Twenty Four. Yep. And then every writer they hired, there were no staff writers on that show. Every writer on that show was a creator of their own show to begin with. So you had five wow. basically geniuses yeah. writing that show. Wow. Usually you have one genius and everybody, you know, is just a staff writer right. and young writers and writers who've never run their own show before. We have five showrunners. As our writers, the only thing we had not only thing we had not to do is drive the bus into the fucking lake. If we could keep yeah. the bus out of the lake, we knew yep. that this was going to be something special. Mm. Now, did you audition for that part, or did they call you for it? Uh, I auditioned for Virgil. Um, yeah, I almost didn't go. I, yeah, I was going to ask, how does that happen? Like your your agent calls you as like. I got a role I think's good for you. There's a couple. And then you just say yes or no, pretty much. Yeah, you read it. You read the yeah. script or you look at the sides. The sides are the, you know, the scenes you're going to read, the two scenes. And um, you ask who's, who's in it, who's the writer, what network, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, but I, I almost didn't go after the pilot got picked up because they misrepresented the character to me. You know, they told me it was going to be a series regular and then it wasn't. Then they promised to make me a series regular if the show got picked up, and they didn't. And at that time, I was in the business almost 30 years, and I was yeah. I was 52 years old, and I got tired of being pushed around, right. lied to, you yeah. know, like, I don't lie to you. Just, you know, don't tell me it's going to be a series regular, and then don't make it a series regular. Just tell me what it is. You don't have to, like bait and switch me i i don't like to be i don't like to be bait and switched you know so i almost didn't go but damien damien lewis called me up the guy who played brody at home and kind of begged me to do it and, uh, i'm glad i did yeah, <laughs> yeah. no you were great in it if, yeah. if it um it felt like that jersey attitude like you had that like sarcastic mm. type funny attitude and I really, really enjoy the character. Can't be taught. That can't be taught. You can't take. You can't. Well, 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 here's what I did. Right. This is what I tell actors all the time. You got to make it personal. You got to find a way to make the role personal. Right. Because, so the way I, the way I, the way I came, the idea I came up with to make it personal was, is that, Mandy Patankin's character, right? He was the head of the CIA, and when I graduated from NJIT, right, I didn't go to. And I, and I uh, applied for the job at the CIA, he turned me down and he hired a kid from MIT. So I walk, every time I'm in a scene with Mandy, I have that chip on my shoulder. That wasn't in the writing. Right. I made that backstory up. So that's the motherfucker who didn't hire me. And he hired that fucking little nerd from MIT. So underneath my every scene with him is like, fuck you. You know what I mean? I'm going to fuck you up. You know? and everything was underlying, you know, like. But. They, um. I do. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Uh, is there any, is there any actor or actress you've been around that just like blew you away with how they worked? Like people talk about musicians when they go in and just like, like don't write their music. It just comes to them. Is there any preparations? You know, some of you around that you're like, wow, like this dude or woman is the real deal. How they prepare? Uh, Glenn Close. Really? Yeah, I, Glenn, I can see that. Glenn yeah. Close on the shield, man. Yeah, she's just, uh, you know, like she wouldn't do shit in the rehearsal. You know what I mean? She'd just be like flat, kind of nothing. She'd be waiting for it to percolate underneath, you know. 
And then as you know, each take progressed, you just saw it just grow and just get rich and you know, real. Um, Jonathan Banks, I don't know if you know who he is. Uh, better I'll, call say, I'll, Mike. I'll say no, but you'll say, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> he, was on, uh, he was on Breaking Bad. He was the guy with a mug that only a mother could love. Uh, and he, he played Mike in Better Call Saul. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I told you you fucking knew who he was. <laughs> now you're setting me up. I know you knew who he was all along. Now you're just setting me up because... He doesn't like, like a I, bait and switch, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't do that to him. Yeah. <laughs> so he came, I saw him work one time, and he comes in the opposite of Glenn Close. He comes in overacting in rehearsal in the first take, and, and then he brings it down and brings it down and makes it more real and more real. So, so that's in his bones, right? That overacting experience of all the emotion comes in his muscle memory. So then he just brings it all down and he just talks to you. And when he's talking to you, underneath all of it is all of that shit that he was doing in rehearsal, uh, which is a really cool technique. And then in terms of a work ethic, Joe Mantegna. Joe was one of those guys, never questioned anything, right? Joe sitting in his chair talking, da, da, da. Joe, we're ready for you. So action, blah, 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 blah. All right, Joe, we need you. So. Action, blah, 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 blah. Never says, how was that? Do you need another one? Joe, you okay? Joe's like, yeah, it's fine. But again, that's good. <laughs> Just like easy, easy. He was, he was in uh, one of my favorite movies ever, I believe, uh, Searching for Bobby Fischer. Oh, he was the father in that. I fucking think that is one of the more under-the-radar movies of all time. And people get turned off to it because it's chess. But like, just the no, the end of that where the kid makes the move and Lawrence Fishburne is like, there it is. Oh, that that shit hits right there. There's yeah, certain you, some movies that just hit. You gotta watch that again now. You said that. Yeah, we'll watch it together. I'll drive out to Newark. We'll <laughs> Let's go, baby. I'm in Red Bank, dude. I'm in Red Bank now. Let's Red do Bank. it. Movie uh, night at Marciano's today. I was that. We could have did this live. We could have. <laughs> where were you? I was in uh, Seaside Heights, which wasn't yeah. the best idea. Um, yeah. Film was a little bit better. I went to Seaside just to see like how the creatures are doing. Yeah, it's, rough. It, it, it's a weird, it's a weird it's vibe. Weird. It is. My cousin lives in Seaside Park, which is better. It's a little, you know, a yeah. little nicer, a little laid back. Yeah, but Seaside ain't. Man, dude, I, I would go to Seaside. All these people in the background, we would go to Seaside every summer for two weeks yeah. from mid '60s. You know, so it has a, it's a warm spot in my heart, but you're right. It's, it's, it's a rough, it's a rough yeah. neighborhood now. I wasn't there. I haven't been there for years and I drove in. I'm like, Oh, this is what it's like. Like I literally pull in a car almost hits this guy and he's looking at him like he's going to fight him. I'm like, Oh, they're like, is and $9 for a fucking cheesesteak. Oh, yeah. I'll slap you, man. I'll slap yeah, the shit yeah. out of you. $10 a park. $10 a park. I'm like, nobody's even here. Nobody wants to be here. I know. <laughs> it's nuts. It's nuts. It's crazy because, like, Jersey, it's almost like the only people who love Jersey are people from Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everyone the else. Greatest, it's the greatest fucking state in the nation. It man. Is Come on. state in the world. You know what it is? You love to hate it. Because <laughs> yeah. when you go, the thing is, when you go somewhere else, and someone's like, oh, you're from Jersey. The first thing you do is you're like, yeah, so fucking what? Yeah, what the fuck? You're right, exactly. Yeah, I am. Yeah, that's right, bitch. You know, why, you know why we're like this? Because the amount of talent that's come out of the state of New yes, Jersey. Yes, they all leave. Will blow your mind, though. But it will blow yeah. your mind. There's a Jack Nicholson, Meryl Streep. De Niro, right? No, no, no. Not not let's, not not forget, let's not forget Susan Sarandon. <laughs> Susan, I I forgot that Susan Sarandon. Thank you. Always got to Douglas. Wait, Michael Douglas, uh, 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 Tom Cruise, Bruce Willis, Joe Pesci. Yeah. Uh, uh, Joe Rogan. Tupac. Really? Tupac was Newark. No shit. He lived there. Yeah. Well, you're right, though. Even like athletes, though, a lot of them grow Shaquille. up here, then move out. Yeah, that's Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal's from Newark. Let's be honest, like, listen, I love the state, but if you're an 18-year-old kid and they're trying to recruit you on Easton Avenue and then they're bringing you out to UCLA and you're on the beach, 
you're gonna pick UCLA. I'm yeah. sorry. California's awesome, dude. That's just what, oh, that's what I wanted to ask you. So when you were out in California in the '80s, uh, it was a lot different. Obviously, mm. the climate, right, with yeah. everything going on now. The way you acted back then with the rough, like, I don't give a fuck attitude, would that work nowadays or no. it's a whole different ballgame? No, zero tolerance for assholes. <laughs> zero tolerance <laughs> for jerk-offs and assholes, you know, and I was both, so. That only um, works here. One movie, one movie I did, sorry, but really quick, one movie I did, I know I could go into, like, The Shield and all this other stuff with Danielle, but one movie I loved, I believe you were in, was Red State. <laughs> Right? I want to ask you about... No, dude, you don't know what happened. Yeah, I, I'm curious, because I saw your credits next to mm -hmm. the movie, and I actually love that movie. I want to know, like, what, what happened right. was... Okay, go on. Just go right. on. Tell it. So Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith, right? yeah. Jersey guy. Red Bank, I believe, right? Yeah. Red, yeah. Red Bank. Where I fucking live now, right? He hired me to be in that movie with Seth Rogen. What was that movie he did with Seth Rogen? It was making a porno, so-and-so oh, make Zach a porno. Oh, Zach and Mary, Zach and Mary. Zach and Mary make, make a, a porno. porno. Yeah. So he hires me to play this character, and my character, my scene shoots on the last day of shooting. I get a call from his producer saying, I'm sorry, we ran out of money, we're, we're over budget, we're cutting that day's work out, but you know, guys, so Kevin calls me up. I'm really sorry. I got to make it up to you. So he gives me a job in Red State, right? Now I go to work on the first day of Red State, and I'm a SWAT guy, right? And my scene is with Michael Strahan. Michael Strahan is also this guy. He gets shot, and I'm like, you know, I'm supposed to, like, help Michael Strahan. So we drive out the bumfuck. I don't know where the hell we were, and we're all dressed up, and we're waiting all day, and we don't get called to set, right? So... You and Michael Strahan. Yeah. And now Strahan, so now that the AD comes and says, you guys got to come back tomorrow. And Michael's like, oh, okay, great. And then I hear Michael on the phone. I ain't fucking coming back here and waiting for this jerk off. Are you fucking kidding me? Jesus Christ, in the middle of fucking nowhere. I used to hear all day dressed up like in this costume and I didn't even work. So I show up the next day, no Michael Strahan. <laughs> hey, Mike, I'll bring the coffee tomorrow, right? We're going to meet here tomorrow night. Oh, yeah, I'll be no, <laughs> Mike's like, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Nice to meet you, brother. Yeah. So a whole fucking second day, I don't shoot. So Kevin's put me in two movies I got paid for, and I wasn't in either one of them. Well, that's, hey, you know what? That's a paycheck. Unbelievable. That's fucking awesome. So now he says to me, he goes, wow, um, this is two movies. I've hired you, and you haven't worked a day. And your characters, like he goes, I, next movie, I promise, I got, I, I'm going to have to give you something substantial. I say, great. And then he stopped making movies. <laughs> well, that's some fucking podcast guy or something. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, there. those idiots will never make it. Loser. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love him. You know, his daughter and my daughter went to school together in L.A. That's how I met him. Right. That's they cool, though, friends. when you find a Jersey connection where yeah. you are. Yeah. He's great. It's like everything freezes around you. You're like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> dude, dude. So His house, he bought Ben Affleck's house. Him and, because, you know, uh, yeah, what's yeah. that movie he made? All Amy. Rats. They did all. Chase and Amy. Chase and Amy. Right, so when, you know, Ben's career took off, Kevin bought Ben's house. But that house became the party house. So literally, I swear to God, he had a poker table in the living room, you know, it was just like, his living room was like a casino, like a fucking casino. And we would go there and then like around midnight, Kevin would say, go to bed. And he would say, just close the door behind you when you leave. And people would just, just stay up all night long and hang out, no Kevin, no Kevin's wife, and just gamble and drink and. I'm sure, I'm sure that was some fun times. That, that's when you know you have a big house, when there's a party going on and you're unaware of it. Totally sleeping to sleep. <laughs> on the third floor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's crazy. Uh, Brian, I cut you off. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of Jersey connections, you ever run into uh, Joey Diaz in L.A.? No. No, no never? Jose or Joey? I grew up uh, with a Jose. I grew up with a Jose Diaz. From, from North Bergen, New Jersey. No, no, no. He's from North. He's a comedian. Oh, no, no, no. Never, never. Okay, because I was—I mean, he was in—he was in a bunch of movies, TV shows. He had little spots here and there, 
But uh, I would just think that being from New Jersey, maybe you guys would have crossed paths somewhere. Nah, nah, not yet. Now, you, you in the 70s getting into movies, um, growing up where you grew up, obviously you had Pacino, De Niro, Gene Hackman, um, uh, Harvey Keitel was a big one. Who were like, yeah, I know, I'm throwing out great names here for you. Who were like the, the actors you emulated or tried to be like when you first started? You know, you always had that like, like, hey, Paisan or whatever the fuck you probably said. Like, <laughs> yeah. who, who did you really try to emulate? Okay, so when I first came to town, you know, they, they ask you to make a list of the things that you want to achieve. And it was to, it was to act opposite De Niro, to act opposite Pacino, and to act opposite of Dustin Hoffman. And I've, uh, I've met all three of them, but I've never got to act with them in a scene. Yeah. So those are the guys. Those are the guys. Those are my guys. Yeah. That's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Wait, have you ever come close? Was there ever like a role that you almost no, got? No, no. I mean, I mean, you know, Gambino. No. All right. I'm Maybe. just throwing it out there. You know, just what I. <laughs> uh, one weird question. I, I did. Wait. Okay, so De Niro at the SAG Awards. Okay, I, I'm at the SAG Awards for Homeland, and I, I'm sitting here, and De Niro's like right there, right. And now I'm in the business now 30 years, and I've never been in the room with De Niro before. So I get up. Look, I don't know if I'm ever going to be in the room with him ever again. Right? Right. It's taken me 30 years to be in the same room with him. So yeah, I just rolled right up on him and I said, Bobby, hey, Dave Marciano, Dave Marciano from Newark, New Jersey. He goes, eh, eh. I said, I just want to say hello, wish you good luck tonight. I said, um, I got to work with a close friend of yours, Joe Pesci. Uh, you know, he says he's, uh, I told him I was from Newark. He says, Newark, nah, I'm from Doodletown, man, yeah. I said, what the fuck is Doodletown? He goes, the fuck do you say to me? I said, you heard what I fucking said, jerk off. What the fuck is Doodle Town? So, you know, we went back and forth a little bit. And uh, uh, that's what they called Nork in his generation. They called it Doodle Town. Uh, he went, well, <laughs> I was like, nice I, to meet you. Well, but apparently De Niro's really shy, though. Yeah. Like, that, you know what I mean? He's a weird shy guy. I have a weird, I have a weird question for you. Because I was watching a show recently, and I asked my wife, is the food real? on set during a scene <laughs> i'm sorry i always wanted to know not not all of it okay i just want like when they're making sandwiches out it's like <laughs> not all of it man the fruit is never real okay no, uh, the you know what? Real. that was the one question i have written down i really wanted to fucking know as yeah. weird as as weird as it was no Brian, the nuts are real like the walnuts and the pecans and the you know all the nuts are real but the fruit ain't real did you ever have a negative you don't have to say a name um, unless you want to did you ever have a moment a negative moment with an actor or someone famous where you felt like wringing their neck or you did get in a confrontation with them mm -hmm. okay that's all we don't have to say a name <laughs> we, we, well, we can, not Paul Haggis me and Paul Haggis almost had a fight over the due south stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. I rushed him. I was in my trailer. He was he's, he started talking shit about like my the way I, my work ethic and this and that. And he said something about you know his writing. And I said, you hit. You know what? You know what, Paul? If it ain't on the page, it ain't on the fucking stage. All right. So don't talk about my performance. Let's talk about what the fuck you're writing. And he was like, rah, rah, rah. and I was like, he said something. I said, I. I and then there was other producer like grabbed me and stopped me from like ah, I was gonna ah, fucking bite his neck off. I was gonna rip his fucking juggler out. But we've, sure, we've we've made up ever since. I'm sure you guys are good friends. Yeah. Though. Yeah, we are. We really are. Yeah, we really are. Jersey is peaceful, just so everybody. Knows. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna rip his. Not I was gonna the, fight his juggler. Not the Jersey I grew up in. Okay. I know. We're trying to, uh, you know. I know Jersey's much nicer now. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Great. I, I mean, I, I'm out of questions, man. It's on Eric and Brian. If you got any, I want to know. Um, so you started in. I mean, on the internet, it said you moved to California in 1985. But you said yeah. was it earlier? Okay, so 1985. Do you think it's more or less difficult being discovered from the 80s to now? Because back then you didn't have platforms like YouTube, social media, or anything like that. Right. But now it's kind of like oversaturated, right? Like there, anybody could just. Post. It is. 
It is, but I think there's more ways to be seen today. Yeah. Okay. Where the only way, that's why I did stand-up comedy. Mm. It was the only way I could get up on stage or do a play. Mm. To have to have casting directors come see me or to have, you know, uh, producers come. And so, um, I don't know if it's easier, but there's more platforms in which to showcase yourself today than there was in the 80s. So I guess your odds go up. But like you said, there's, there's tons of more content, so it doesn't balance out, you know. But bottom line, the cream always comes to the top. And if you're going to stand out, you're going to stand out. Right. Yeah, it's not, like, it's not like Hollywood's like the gatekeeper anymore of everything. Yeah, like you, they'll, they'll stop you and not let you progress any further. Now you have so many other mediums to get whatever it is that you're doing out there, pretty much. Which is great. Yeah. No, that's so, awesome. Man. And what have you, due to quarantine, what have you been working on? Has was there something you had lined up that was canceled, or you know, what's the future look for you? Right now? I am reboot. I'm in the process of rebooting Do South, dude. Nice. Oh, yeah? With two younger leads. Yeah. Nice, good for yeah. you, man. We're That's close. Awesome. We're on third base. We're this close, man. Um, okay. I hope to be in production in the summer of 2021. Well, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yeah. That's the exclusive. Do South too, baby. That's something that I just thought of, and I didn't think of it earlier. What is with everybody leaving LA now? Like, what is the mass exodus out of L.A. for all, a lot of actors, comedians, and things like that? I don't know. Um, I left because of my son. You know, my, my son's in a special needs program in uh, Cherry Hill, and I needed to be here uh, to support him and uh, uh, be here for my family. I, I, didn't, I wasn't aware that anybody else left. Yeah, hey, Brian, so what's going on? Who, who, yeah, Brian, who do you know, Brian? <laughs> No, I, I, I heard that 500,000 people moved out of New York because of COVID. Oh, well, yeah. yeah I heard that. And guess where the fuck they moved to? Jersey. Yeah, they all moved to Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> so my rent went way to fuck up because of these jerk-offs leaving Manhattan. Yeah. I'd, I'd, hate to, I'd hate to be cheesy on this show and ask, like, oh, top five or whatever. But yeah. I really would love to know. My favorite movie of all time is 12 Angry Men with Henry Fonda. Wow. I would. Yeah. I would have yeah, never guessed that. Never yeah. guessed that. Yeah. That's my favorite movie of all time. I love it. Not yeah. Uncle Buck. Not like, Uncle Buck. No, man. Fuck that. <laughs> I, no. One and two. I, I'd hate to Uncle give Buck, my, I'd, Uncle Buck was the first movie I walked out of in my whole life, dude. Yeah, like, I didn't, I don't I didn't like even. The, I didn't even last five minutes. In I'm movie, not. Right I'm right. not that type of movie guy. I like Bronx Tale, Schindler's List, American. Schindler's, Schindler's List and American dude. History X, which are like four, which are very different. Yeah, but um, yeah, things like that. Um. I have to ask, like, what's it's your It's a cliche, number? bro. It's a cliche. You ready? What? Godfather, Godfather yeah, right. 2, okay. Apocalypse I'll... Now. Yeah, your usual. What's your guilty Deer pleasure? Deer Hunter, Deer Hunter. Yeah, these are all yeah. greats, but what's your guilty pleasure? Forrest Gump. Love Forrest what's Gump. Your, what's your animated guilty pleasure? Anything? Oh, come on, man. Give come me something. Mulan. Okay. Mulan. She's Mulan. one kick-ass main character. Mulan's a badass. They have uh, a new one coming? Yeah, they do like yeah. a live action I, one, yeah. I think, or yeah. something. Uh, Hercules, come on, dude! Hercules is awesome. You know who's awesome in Hercules? Is James Woods. He plays yeah. Hades. Hades, yeah. fucking yeah. awesome. Tarzan. Glenn Close is in Tarzan, dude. The, the Pocahontas. Pocahontas. John Smith is Mel Gibson. Gee, I, didn't, I forgot about all these. I didn't know that. The best, the best animated villain of all time is Jeremy Irons as Scar. Oh, that, to me, oh, he's he, awesome. I actually awesome. rooted for Scar. That's how great he was. I was like, this yeah, guy has awesome. it right. We need to bring the hyenas he's in. He's like, throw Mufasa off the cliff. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg and Whoopi oh, Goldberg yeah. and fucking uh, Bobcat Goldthwait is the hyenas. The hyenas, yeah. yeah. Dude, these I, movies. Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> That's, that's I, worked why I, with Whoopi. That. I worked with Whoopi. She's Whoopi's stand-up lady. Stand-up. Yeah. Lady. Uh, she, you she lives in South Orange. She lives in South Orange. Another Jersey person. Oh, yeah. West Orange. She lives in West Orange. I'm sorry. She lives in West Orange. Um, you were a lethal weapon, correct? <laughs> yeah. No, I want to add Eddie Murphy. How crazy was he to work with? Dude, that was that was this was 1989. Yeah, give us some. 
I'm literally in town three, four years, right? And I get, I get so. All the goombas are going in to audition for my role, right? And so I finally go in there, and it's the end of the day. And as soon as I finish my scene, Eddie goes to the Robbie Reed, the casting director. All right, that's it. I'm done. I, I, you, you, you're the best. You were the best today. You got the job. And Robbie's like, you can't do that. You can't do it. And he goes, well, I just fucking did it. You got the job, man. Get out of here. You're awesome. Love you. See you on the set. So, so I'm leaving, right? And I got the job. I didn't remember telling me I got the job. And I, and I see two of the other actors, right, who just had auditioned for my role. And they were talking. And I stopped. And they were like, how'd it go? I'm like, ah, it went okay. You know, I didn't want to give it away, right? And they go, yeah, what a jerk off he was, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, you know, just wasn't easy in there, I guess. You know, it was rough. Yeah, well, take care. And I knew I'd already gotten a fucking job. Um, it was like nuts. Uh, and then the other one, uh, what was the question? No, I just said you were Eddie Murphy. Oh, Lethal Weapon 2. Lethal Weapon 2. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Lethal Weapon 2 is a great story. And then we'll end it with this story. Great story. Lethal Weapon 2. I had just auditioned for a pilot that I didn't get. Right? I got the news I didn't get it. And the very next day, I had my audition for Lethal Weapon 2. And they were looking for four or five cops to surround Mel and Danny for the, in, the, in the precinct for the run of the movie. Now we're waiting, it's fucking hot. Warner Brothers lot, and we're sitting there and waiting for hours because Dick Donner's working with everybody individually, right? So I'm I'm just thinking, I'm fucking over it anymore, right? And here through the through the entrance comes my best buddy Tommy Hinckley. Now to preface this, Tommy and I over the weekend were at an art art opening, and the artist's name was Aldo. And there was literally two to 300 people in this, in this art gallery waiting for Aldo the whole night. And Aldo wasn't showing up. So I said to Tommy, Tommy, go to the entrance. And when you come in, I'm going to yell, Aldo. <laughs> and so I yell, Aldo. And everybody looks to see if the artist is. And they go, ah, fuck you guys. So we would do that every half hour. Right, Aldo, Aldo, right? So I'm sitting there. I'm all night. This is two weeks later. I'm like this, and Tommy Hinckley comes through, and he goes, Aldo, and I go, No, nah, no, Aldo. He goes, Aldo, and I said, No, I'm not fucking playing Aldo tonight. Just no. Do you know how long I'm sitting here in the sun? He goes, He goes, ah, but it's Lethal Weapon Two, Dick Donner. I'm like, Look, I'm leaving. He goes, You can't leave. You can't leave. I said, well, I'll tell you what. The only way I'm staying is if you and I can go in the room together. So casting director is Marion Darty and Gail Levin. Now, Gail Levin, big fan of mine, know Gail a long time. So Gail comes out to get the next actor. And I say, hey, Gail, listen, you know, we've been here an hour and a half. And uh, you think me and Tommy would, you know, we're like best friends, Hecklin, Jekyll, and you're looking for like, cops who know each other for years to surround Danny and, and Mel, do you mind if uh, we went in together? And she went, I don't know, it's a little unorthodox, but um, let me ask Dick. She goes in, comes back out, says, yeah, Dick says, come on in. So the two of us go in there and we tag team fucking Dick. We're like heckle and jekyll, you know, like, hey, Dick, daughter, Dick, hey, look at this fucking Dick, hey, Dick, I'm doing like all stupid, goofy shit, right? Dick's loving it. <laughs> <laughs> Dick's got a dog, and Tommy's laying down with the dog and petting the dog and going, Dick, can we put the dog in the movie? Would be nice. Dick's going, no, we're not putting the dog in the movie. So he says, yeah, but what if we shoot it like this, Dick, from down here? Like, you know, we're just fucking around. So Dick's loving us. And he says, okay, okay, guys, fantastic. So he turns to Marion Darty and he says, all right, uh, if we hire these two guys, which it looks like we're going to hire you guys, we got to make the two other guys old. He goes, great, congratulations, guys. See you on the set. Now, I was leaving. Remember, I was leaving, right? So now, two weeks later, my agent calls and says, I got good news and I got bad news. I said, what's the good news? He goes, they want you for Lethal Weapon 2. I said, what's the bad news? They don't want Tommy. Wow. So he goes, what's wrong? He goes, what's wrong? Yes, you're right. You're, what's wrong? I go, I can't do it. <laughs> you can't do it. I said, no, I can't do it. If they, they either take us to get together or they, or they don't, they, I can't do it. If it wasn't for Tommy, I don't, I'm not even in that room. I'm not even auditioning. And he says, 
you understand this is for the run of Lethal Weapon 2. This is going to be one of the biggest summer blockbusters, right, for Warner Brothers. It's going to come out on Memorial Day or, you know, one of the big holiday movies. You're going to probably make 30 to 60 grand and then residuals forever. I said, can't do it. And so I passed. Damn. Now. That's Jersey in you, though. That's the Jersey say, loyalty. Fucking, that's integrity. That is, though. That that's, is. Did you like, tell him that? Did you tell him that? Huh? Did you tell him that? Like, right Who, after? Tommy? Yeah. He doesn't believe it. Oh. I was going to say, <laughs> let him watch this. And when I tell, when I when I tell, when I tell Tommy the story, you know what he says? No, they hired me, and they didn't want you. And I'm like, another oh, Jersey man. thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, now. I'm determined. I'm determined to get us in the movie, right? So I take the script home. Now Shane Black wrote that script, right? I take the script home, and I write me and Tommy into the script. Three scenes as Riggs and Murtaugh wannabes. We're rookie cops. We drive that Plymouth Fury three with the whip antenna, you know, with the black sidewalls, and we're we're basically bumbling two rookie cops. And I write three scenes for us. And Tommy Hinckley's agent knows Steve Perry, who's the producer. And he gets us a meet with Dick. And me and Tommy go. They just started filming. They were in day three of filming on the Warner Brothers back lot, on the Western lot. And me and Tommy get an audience with Dick. And we perform the three scenes for Dick and Shane and all the producers. And we fucking knock it out of the park. And they love it. And then Dick and Shane huddle. And all the producers, they come back, they, guide, they go, guys, great job, great job. We love what you did. Uh, Shane and the rest of us just feel that the comedy is a little too broad. The characters are a little too broad for what we're trying to do. But congratulations, you're in the movie, you got three days, you're cop number one and you're cop number two. That's awesome. That's fucking awesome. That's an awesome story to end it on. Um, Really quick, though, um, I want to ask you a question when we're off. Just really quick, I'll stop recording. But, uh, you know, thanks for coming on. I know I speak for Eric and Brian. Honestly, I don't know what to expect when we get people on. This was one of the funnest fucking times I've had. This was amazing to hear from you. I love what I do, man. I love what I do. I'm doing it for over 40 years, and I still love it like I was a little kid. Yeah, it's amazing to see. I hope you had a good time, too. I know you were probably a little, like, Weary of how it would go and whatnot, but no, this I wasn't. Really, thank you for coming on, man.